why do we need direction in prayer? The short answer is because we are weak and ignorant. <laughs> we are weak and ignorant. Romans 8.26 In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. There's weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. There's ignorance. Right? In weakness and ignorance. Now, as we are converted, as we grow in the things of God, that weakness and that ignorance diminishes. Strength and knowledge grow. But natively, by ourselves, we do not just naturally know how to pray. At least not in a way that's pleasing to God. So, this is why we need direction in prayer. This verse tells us that even as Christians, because that's what Romans 8's about, it's written to and about Christians, much weakness and ignorance remain in us in regard to prayer. We still need to be taught both the matter and the manner, the what and the how of prayer. Yes, we've been enlightened by God in our regeneration, but we still fit the description found in Job 37, 19. Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. We don't know what to say to God in prayer because ignorance is still present with us. We do not have fully renewed minds. Renewed, yes. Fundamentally changed, oh yes. <laughs> but not perfected. As the, the wonderful Scottish catechist, uh, Fisher, reminds us, we are naturally ignorant both of the glorious perfections of God and of our own sins and needs. And since those are the stuff of prayer, well, <laughs> we need a teacher to direct us in our ignorance. We need a helper to empower us in our weakness. And so we, as Christians, really do understand the disciples when they say to the Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. It's very clear that Jesus knew how to pray. And they could listen to him and realize, oh, they, they don't know how to pray yet. Oh, they're praying, yes, but teach us to pray. So that's question one. Why do we need direction in prayer? Because we are weak and ignorant. Right? Questions or improvements? This is so much better than doing it over Zoom, if I may say. <laughs> so much better. I can see your faces. This is good. Question two. Where should we go for direction in prayer? I hope you all know the answer to this. Where should we go? I phrased it this way, to the whole Word of God, to your Bibles. That's where you go to learn how to pray. That's part of the answer in our summary of the Scriptures. To the whole Word of God. The emphasis in this answer is on the usefulness of all the Word of God for direction in prayer. Not just those portions which directly teach us about the subject of prayer. Now, obviously in some ways, those are more vital, more important, more plain, but the whole Word of God serves us by instructing us how to pray. This is part of the point of 1 John 5.14. It says, if we ask anything 
according to his will, he hears us. Well, now that verse teaches us that God hears and answers prayer when it's made according to his will, meaning when it matches his revealed will. When its aims and ends, goals, in prayer are the same as his ends and goals. When our asking is, as one man has said, one in interest, sympathy, and character with God. Well, how do I learn that? Where is the revealed will of God found? In the Bible alone. (laughs) Nowhere else. In the Bible alone. Everywhere in Scripture, or as our answer gave, in the whole Word of God. So we take praying according to his will in the broad sense. And and so we find the answer in all of scripture. Now it's true, as our confession of faith reminds us, that all things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves, right? There are some passages that we scratch our heads a long time to understand and others are, are quite plain right on the face of them. And so not every text in the Bible is equally direct or plain or useful in teaching us how to pray. We're not, we're not saying that it's all the same, but we are saying the entire Bible is useful to teach us how to pray. And we'll explain that more in the next question. But again, as Fisher says, there's no part of the word from where an intelligent person, and he doesn't mean a, uh, this, is, this is old Scottish stuff here, it doesn't mean a, a brilliant person, a brainy person. It means a person who, who's you know, in his right mind, which is maybe not all of us here, but most of us. Right. There's no part of the word from which an intelligent person in the due use of the ordinary means may not gather something that is proper matter, either for petition or confession or thanksgiving in prayer. So, uh, question three then is, basically, prove that. Prove that, Pastor. Show me that in the Bible. All right? How can we use the various parts of the Scripture in prayer? And I've divided it up in, in, with six answers. I think you've got A through something on your little sheet, right? Um, these could be divided out different ways. There are additional answers. These are just six, I think, fairly important ones uh, from the Word of God. The first two are very obvious, and the others uh, perhaps less so. Here are six suggestive but not exhaustive answers to the question. First, um, specific directions for prayer. I mean, there are places in the Bible that say, pray like this, right? Or, when you pray, do that. Well, those are specific directions from God in the Bible For prayer, obviously, we ought to follow those. That's the most direct, the plainest. But just because it's obvious, sometimes we tend to overlook that. We go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that already. Well, do we? Do we? God, in certain texts, tells us how to pray. And we must not forget or ignore those. We must not become so accustomed to them that we are bored and uninfluenced by them. And of course, perhaps the classic example is the one we read, the Lord's Prayer. Um, We sometimes pray that in worship. Um, Some of you pray it daily in your private life. Uh, It's not hard at all to find 
a uh, hundred different musical genres where it is sung. Uh, if you go online, right, everything from the classic uh, operatic almost style to uh, things wrapped or with music so loud you can barely hear the words and everything in between, right? I mean, so it's pervasive even in our fallen culture. But because of that, it's easy to forget. It's easy to ignore. It's easy to go, yeah, yeah, I know that. I want something more. Well, it's fine to want something more. Just make sure you've got this down really well. And it's such a part of you that not looking at it real regularly, you're still going to be following it and doing it, right? Because it's here in this prayer that Christ explicitly lays down rules for righteous prayer. Now, it's not every rule. It's not complete. We have the whole Bible for that. But this is a direct, plain, here's how to pray. It's specific, and it's meant to be followed. All right? So that's one example. There are others, but that's the first one. There are places in the Bible that just say, here's how you pray. Um, you know, others would be things like, Paul says, keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Never forsake that, right? Um, on and on we could go. Here's a second one. Here's a second part of scripture uh, that helps us to know how to pray. Um, examples of righteous prayers. There are many prayers in the Bible by believing men and, and women. I have said to you, because it was said to me, you sometimes have said to me, and I've heard you say it to each other, things like this. During a, a very difficult time, uh, perhaps dark providence, uh, perhaps your sin has caught up to you. Right? And a brother or sister will come to you and say, one of the things you need to do is you need to go find an appropriate psalm and you need to make it yours, right? <laughs> you need to go and take that. You know, you know those 150 in the Bible are called psalms. They're called songs. They're also in the Bible called prayers, right? So you need to use them not only as something to sing and something to read and something to preach from. You need to use them as something to pray, so are you under the burden of your sin and you think you can't get out from under it and you're just utterly lost in it? Well, go to Psalm 51 or go to Psalm 6 or go to Psalm 130 or go to Psalm 32. Pick one of the penitential psalms. Make it yours. In other words, learn from God himself because yeah, they're David's prayers or whoever's. They're a human prayer. But they're, they're an inspi God-inspired prayer. right? So learn how to Learn how to repent. Learn how to confess your sins. Learn how you're supposed to emotionally feel before and after you've repented. Learn what you're supposed to do afterward. By the way, it doesn't crawl up in a ball and, and never talk again because you've sinned. That's the wrong answer, right? You're supposed to do good to your brothers and sisters in all of these cases. Starting as the men learned, if they didn't already know, in Psalm 3 um, uh, yesterday. Perhaps your life experience right now is exactly the opposite. Perhaps you've had an unusual time of blessing. And some of you have. 
and you keenly feel thanksgiving and a certain kind of gracious debt to God. And you want to thank him. Well, you can sing. James tells us to do that. There's other things you can do. But one of the things you can do and you should do, and maybe most basic, is you should thank him in prayer. Well, go to Psalm 145. It's not very long. (laughs) Learn it, memorize it, paraphrase it, something it, make it yours. Make it your prayer to God. Yeah, customize it, if you will. Or imitate Paul in his prayers for the churches by going to the epistles and praying after him according to the will of God. I try to do this occasionally in our, our, our morning worship prayers. Um, using either some of the lengthy or some of the, the, the very short uh, prayers that he sends up. Things like this. Um, 2 Thessalonians 1.11, that we might be counted worthy of his calling. Or Ephesians 3, 16 to 18. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Or if you want the good of Christ's church and you want to know how to pray for that, go to Philemon 6. He says, I pray you may be active in sharing your faith. About... 25 years ago, the, one of the Christian fads, and Christians are very given to fads, sadly, was, um, you know, was the, the prayer of Jabez. Yeah, you, you may remember that. Um, you know, pray this prayer. And you, now, it, it's easy to make fun of that at a certain level uh, because it was used so selfishly, so not, not about God, not about church, not about spiritual. It's just about give me more money. I'm going to stretch out my time. I want, my, I want a house twice as big as I have now, God. Well, that, that's not the point of the prayer. Okay. The problem is then in reaction, lots of other Christians go, oh, yeah, we, we need to stay away from that prayer. That's a bad prayer. No, the prayer isn't bad. The abuse of the prayer is bad. Right? It's the don't throw the baby out with the bathwater thing. Well, here, here's what it is. First Chronicles 4.10. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Now, there's nothing wrong to pray this. In fact, if you pray the Lord's Prayer, you you really pray that. Give us this day our daily bread, or tomorrow's bread, depending on how it should be translated. But right, we, we want physical health. We, we want, uh, we want our, our needs met. That's not sinful. That's not selfish. It's right to ask God for that. It's even all right to say, God, give me more so that I can do more for you. Now, you need to be careful, because your heart is a lot more wicked than you think it is. And if you tell God, if he gives you more, I'll give you back more, you better do it. Right? You better do it. Don't be false with him. But it's okay to pray that. It's okay to work toward that. 
So we can pray prayers like this, or we can learn how in our New Covenant context to pray prayers like this. Um, here's a third. Here's a third kind of scripture that we can we can learn how to pray from. There are many places in the Bible where sins are portrayed. I mean, <laughs> this book is full of horrible things. Yeah, I always, you know, you just kind of shake your head when somebody goes, "Oh, yeah, the Bible's all about goody goody." It's like you never read that book, did you? <laughs> I mean, do you know what he did to her and what she did? Have you heard the story of, I mean, some parts it's like, yeah, kids, we'll be skipping this chapter until you're a little older. I mean, that's at least how you feel. Um, I'll let you have the wisdom to decide what to do. Um, But what what do we do when sins are portrayed in the Bible? You know, that's our reading passage. Okay, what what do I learn about prayer in here? Well, here's, here's Fisher on this. This is one of my favorite books that I own, by the way. And you are free to borrow like virtually any book you want out of my library, but don't even bother asking for this one. (laughs) Get your own. What year is that? Probably late 1700s. Maybe maybe very, very early 1800s. If you get to know bindings, you can figure out when stuff is, yeah, anyway. Love me some Fisher. I'll give you the official name. Good question, John. Thank you. I'm glad you heard me clearly. Well, it's just called, it's normally called, and it's called on the spine, Fisher's Catechism. Fisher's Catechism. It, it came because three ministers were asked by, I think, one of the Scottish presbyteries to produce a, a, a catechetical instruction. So they took, of course, the Westminster Catechism, very, very similar to our catechism, right? And they didn't just do like individual ministers have done historically, where they kind of have maybe a page or two of a fairly basic Q&A about it. I, I know one of Carlo's favorite books in the world is Benjamin Bedham's you know, Baptist answers to these. And they're very straightforward, very simple, great to use with yourself or your kids. But that wasn't what those three pastors were tasked with doing. It was to try to basically write a, a really detailed, um, lengthy, every question you could think of that ought to come up under this subject, you know, we want it answered from the Bible in here. So there's hundreds and hundreds of questions under these questions. And, and, of course, they've all got Bible verses, and they've all got, you know, study this and compare it with that, and here's this truth, and here are the verses to defend that. And so it's just really, really complete. So it's, that's partly why it's one of my favorite, because guess what? In real life, when you teach the basics of these questions, guess what? The people of God come up afterward, and they go, yeah, but what about this? Well, what about that? Well, does it relate to this? Fisher. <laughs> Fisher has the answer almost always um, not, not always but really often really often I'm not sure if it's still in print or not I'd forgotten about this though there is a there is a um, there's a Westminster Shorter Catechism webpage that some, some churches put out I forget which one 
you'll have to look this up. It's been years since I looked at it. But what they have out there is because all these books that are older, you know, they're not copyrighted anymore. So they have, they have probably a dozen or more catechetical instruction books there. So if you say, well, I'm on question 47. I, I'd like to know what these various men over the centuries thought the Bible taught about that subject. Well, you can just go right there. So, and I know Fisher's is one of them, right? So even if you can't find a copy or it's too expensive or whatever, you can definitely look it up online. Here is um, one of the many, many uh, answers to this. Uh, I think he's got close to, no, he's got over, he's got dozens of answers to this. I'm giving you six, all right? But here's, here's the next one. Sins portrayed, right? How do we make use of that in prayer? He, he puts it this way. Of what use in prayer are the sins which we read in Scripture? That other churches before us have been guilty of? And the judgments that have been inflicted upon them? Here's his answer. They are of use to direct us to pray that the Lord would, would keep his church and people in the day in which we live, from running into the same snares and thus exposing themselves to the same judgments. Now, we're warned. We are urged to do that in the Bible, and there are examples of that in the Bible. So this is a really good biblical answer. Think of, think of 1 Corinthians, right? Chapter 10, verse 11, chapter 11. All right, what does Paul say? I'm writing these things to you as an example so that you don't do what they did, so that you don't get punished like they got punished. And then what does he say in the next chapter in the Lord's table? Um, here, there, here are your sins. You, you really need to stop this. You've so corrupted it. It's not even the Lord's table anymore. It's your table. And what's happening? People are sick. People are dying. Well, we, we shouldn't just read that for historical interest. Or to say, well, in theory, bad things can happen to you if you disobey. Those need to be fuel for prayer. We need to take that and say, oh, Lord, keep me from being the Israelite. Keep me from being like the Corinthian church member. Help me not to be unloving to my brothers and sisters. Help me not to be complaining in the wilderness. Now, none of, you know, we're all walking in the wilderness right now. None of us complain, right? Yeah, see, we need that negative example. We need, to be, we need to see their example. We need to be warned about it. We need to see their punishment. And then we need to pray that God would keep us from that. Or when we do it anyway, that we would repent from it. Here's another one. Uh, we come across a section in, in Scripture where um, they're just, there are doctrines, there are truths that are, are being taught. Well, how does, that, how does that teach us to pray? What, what should we learn from that about, uh, about prayer? Here's, here's the next one. Um, they are of use to instruct us in the principles of, re of religion, without knowledge of which it is impossible to pray to the edification either of ourselves or others. He's especially, I think, have, has in mind, you know, public prayer, whether it's public in church or public, you know, in the home or 
If when you pray, you're saying all kinds of nonsense stuff, um, you're, you're not edifying those around you. Because remember, just like singing, just like preaching, just like every element of worship, it's primarily directed to God. But prayer is supposed to be edifying horizontally, just like, again, just like these other things. You're supposed to be built up by the teaching of the truth. You're supposed to be built up by the hymns. You're supposed to be built up by this and that. You're supposed to be built up by praying. That's why not everyone is always asked to pray publicly. Right? Or, or maybe in some settings, but not in others. Because different of you have different gifts. You, you don't all have the same gift. And some of you do that well. Some of you, it's perfectly fine at your kitchen table. It's wonderful. But in front of 400 people, the neck tightens to where you can hardly breathe and you are about to fall over. And what comes out is just, he was speaking in English, wasn't he? That's, that's just what happens. That's what happens. And yes, we can learn. And yes, we can grow. Uh, famous story of Stonewall Jackson, right? Um, I don't know if you've heard this story before, but when he was first converted, he, um, he joined a, a Presbyterian church there in, was it Richmond? Anyway, wherever it was. Lexington. Was that it? Lexington. Lexington, thank you. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, and he stood up to pray because he was expected to be able to do that, both as a man and as, as kind of a public man. And he just slaughtered it. I mean, it was just abysmal. He was so embarrassed that he sat down and swore he would never do that again. And frankly, I think from the stories, everybody was really sorry they asked him to pray, and they felt really bad for him. But he believed, because of who he was and his position, etc., that it was his duty to do that. And so he set about, even though being incredibly you know, embarrassed to the point of shame, he set about learning how to do that better, to the point where he, of course, later <laughs> became famous for his prayers during the Civil War. Okay, So gift and grace, and just like your grace can grow, grow your gift can grow. But we want to be edifying to one another in this. Um, and, and one way to do that is that when we speak, we speak the truth. We speak with doctrinal accuracy. We speak it in biblical language. And we don't, we don't leave people going, oh, okay, um, this brother's really sincere and fervent, but he said so many wrong things. I, I, I'm not, I can't stay focused on, I'm not even sure what I know what he wants. Right? And we can learn to get past that. And the truths of the Bible help us to be more useful that way. Um, another one, um, the offices of Christ, right? Christ is anointed as prophet. He's anointed as priest. He's anointed as king. So he is Messiah. He's the anointed one. And in all of his offices, whenever we see Christ at work, he's doing one of these things. That fuels our prayers. That teaches us how it is um, that we ought to do. What, what we ought to do. For example, knowing that Christ is a prophet, well, that's a great ground to pray, I need wisdom. <laughs> I need wisdom to know how to live with 
my family, raise my children, be a churchman, work, answer a thousand questions in life. Well, that's who Jesus is. He's, he's the answer to those things. Right? Priest, when you, when you need your sins forgiven. Prophet, when you, right? All these things. So when we read about Christ in the scriptures, we, we, we fuel our prayers with the knowledge of who he is and what he's done. Last one. In many places in the, um, in the Bible, you know, we find the promises, of, we find promises from God. These are very precious to us. Fisher says, of what use are the promises in this regard? Answer, they contain the very matter of prayer. And the pleading of them by faith is the right manner in which the duty should be performed. James 1.6, right? So the promises of God should make up the, the content, the stuff of our prayers. Things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. That should populate your prayers. When you're in trouble, when you're afraid, pray Psalm 27, verses 1 to 3, right? Pray, oh God, please don't leave me to myself. I, I don't have enough resources within myself, so do not forsake me to my enemies. You know, the world, the flesh, the devil. When you pray like this in faith, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, you're promised an answer. So do you lack wisdom? James 1, 5, and 6 will pray the promise of God. If you ask in faith, he's not going to turn you away. Are you struggling against your greatest, most frequent sin? Well, then pour out the righteous desire of your heart and entreat God to make good his promise to make you stand in holiness in the final day. Benjamin Bedham. answers this question this way. Is scripture the best rule for our direction in prayer? And Bedham's really simple. He always says yes or no. And then he gives you a Bible verse. Yes. Yes. It's the best book. It's the best rule for prayer. For the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Psalm 11.6. He asks another question. And is it through a neglect of it, a neglect of the word of God, that we are guilty of many mistakes in prayer. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And he quotes Matthew 20, 22. You know not what you ask. Ooh, yeah. So when you next read the scriptures, ask yourself what matters of prayer are found here. These are six suggestions. And use them. Remember, the Bible is not only our sufficient rule for what we believe, it's our sufficient rule for all of proper religious practice, including prayer. All right? So those are the first three questions. The next uh, four are rather quick. So any questions or improvements to this? David. Uh, not an improvement, but <clears throat> something that you had mentioned, I think, is during the, men's, uh, the Saturday, Men's Saturday, and even Pastor John had said this, is, 
As Christians, because they go, okay, we're saved and we're being sanctified, we see ourselves as the good guys. And so when we're reading the Bible, we see the person that's being chastised by Jesus, even the unbeliever, we think, oh, that's not me, that's the other person. And so um, I know I have to practice, like, no, wait a minute, because you're talking about how, how to take those things and incorporate them into your prayers, like, oh, wait a minute, no, I have that problem, but if I always see myself as the good guy, I'm not seeing that in myself. Yeah. Well, that, does that make sense? I, mean, I, think, I think so, yeah. I mean, even when you know there's a fundamental difference between someone who's not right with God in the scriptures and you believe you are by the grace of God, that doesn't mean there's nothing to learn from him. There's nothing in his you know, life that couldn't possibly, you could never do that. Well, I mean, really? What sin could you as a Christian just absolutely not do? Wow. Yeah, that list is really, really short. Right? I mean, we still have a lot of evil in our hearts, and we are very capable of doing almost anything. And so even when, yeah, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys, and that isn't, you're right, that isn't the right way to look at it. But even if we're thinking that way, there's still something here to, to learn, to pray over, to wrestle with. And I think... Brad's thinking when we were talking on Friday over breakfast, we were talking about Calvin on prayer and worship. Now, prayer is in one sense a, a type of worship. You're going yes. before God, but yes. not just arbitrarily or whimsically. That, like worship, there's rules um, yes. that God demands, and the same thing with, with prayer, and it's for our good uh, that we go before a, a holy God in the rightful manner. Yes. Um, and yes. Uh, I, I just find that very interesting that the Lord puts out the exact same thing in worship as in prayer. That's a good point because we, Jesus is clear, the New Testament is clear, he wants to know our heart's desire. Prayer is pouring out the soul to God. He's, he doesn't want you to be fake. He's not asking you to ask for things that you don't need or want or have no sense of. Right? That's, that's not what prayer is. But that doesn't mean that anything and everything that's in your gut should be spouted out to God, that's right? right? And it doesn't mean that there aren't rules or, or other things in Scripture that tell you how to come to God rightly with, with your heart, right? Yeah, so in the old days, you know, the example would have been something like, The locomotive engine, you know, runs, runs the best on the tracks. It, it doesn't make much headway in a field or even on a street. It doesn't matter how much steam there is, how much power there is. It's not going to get anywhere, in this case, you know, answers from God, if it's not running down the tracks. And, and we do have to ask according to God's will. You say, well, how do I know if my heart's desire are or aren't? Or, well, that's what the Bible's for. Because some of the things that you want to ask God for, they're wicked. And, and you shouldn't ask him. Or he might give it to you. I mean, to, to show you, no, you didn't really want that because my word said you shouldn't have that. I mean, that can happen. Because that's what, that's what loving parents do. They discipline. That's one way. Now, God isn't doesn't delight to see you in pain, and he, he doesn't delight to trick you. He's, he's not after that. But if we know the word of God, we won't ask wrongly according to our own hearts. Um, 
I'd say too, you know, as we read the scripture and in its entirety, and you go over it over and over, you become conformed to the word of God, and your mind becomes transformed that, so that you rightly understand who God is, who is this God that I am praying to, <laughs> and who am I in light of that. And so I think just the overall arching, when the word becomes a part of you, Jesus says, if my words abide in you, yes, you know, pray, in, uh, and you will have what you ask in uh, John 15. Uh, and so... Yeah, I think it just... That's one of the functions of public worship. It's, it's way down the list, but it teaches you and your kids how to read the Bible. It teaches you and me how to pray. It teaches you and me how to offer praise to God. It's the main discipling factor in your life during the week, whether you recognize it or not. It's public worship. All right, let's, let's answer these last four questions. What is the special rule of direction for prayer? And the short answer is, of course, the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, which we read earlier. It's also found in a slightly different form in, in Luke 11, verses 2 to 4. And we take this as a special rule because Christ says that we're to follow it as a model or a pattern. Matthew 6, 9, this is how you should pray. Or pray like this. He's saying, I, I'm showing you a pattern. That's what the words mean. In Luke 11.1, 1, a disciple asked to be taught to pray. And Christ shows him, saying, when you pray, say, or this is how to do it. <laughs> In this manner. That's how you should pray. So the circumstances surrounding this particular prayer make it clear that it was meant to be, in a special way, a pattern or direction for prayer. But also, there are, there's no other portion of Scripture where the petitions of prayer are, are simply laid out so plainly, so comprehensively. And that, that almost immediately in people's minds, at least historically, has, has led to a couple of questions, and I want to answer them very quickly. So um, does that mean that we should pray or can pray this, this prayer word for word? I mean, can we quote it? And I would say yes, yes, as long as it isn't done as a mindless or superstitious, superstitious ritual. Right? Well, does it have to be used in this exact form? Well, unless you're quoting the Greek, Aramaic, or something else, I guess you, you, you're not going to be, right, Joe? So, um, so the answer is no. And the reason we know it's no is because when Jesus answered the question in Luke 11, he didn't answer it exactly the same way that he answered it in Matthew 6. Right? So it doesn't have to be said word for word, and if you get one word wrong, God doesn't hear you. God, Prayer doesn't count. Start over again. Also, you know, we have lots of apostolic prayers. And it's never found in them. Allusions to it, examples of it, following it, yes. But we don't have anyone where, you know, the, the, the church gets together and, and what they do is they pray this prayer. They don't pray any other prayer. That's all they do. Every example is, no. So, so we know it doesn't have to be followed word for word exactly or only but it is a model for prayer. All right? 
Uh, question five. Could this name be misleading? Some people object to it being called the Lord's Prayer. And, okay. Um, could this name be misleading? Yes. Because there is a sense in which Christ never prayed this prayer. This is not called the Lord's Prayer because he used it. He could not have. Because he never sinned. He could not genuinely from the heart say, forgive me of my trespasses. Right? Couldn't do that. He could do it as an example for the disciples, yes. I suppose in a certain sense on the cross as a substitute, maybe. But that's a real stretch. <laughs> that's a real stretch. That's probably a stretch so thin it's broken. So it's commonly called the Lord's Prayer because it comes from him, not because it's for him. All right? Question six. What are the parts of the Lord's Prayer? And this is what we'll look at for most of the rest of the, the few weeks we have left in the catechism. Three parts. A preface. Petitions requests, and if you use the King James Version, a conclusion. A preface, petitions, and a conclusion. And, and that teaches us right off the bat that prayer is fundamentally making requests to God. You need to understand your place. When you come to God to give him praise, there's nothing intrinsically so great about you that, of course, he'll receive your praise. Why should he receive adulation from you? No, what you're really doing when you're praising him is you're really making a request. You're Esther coming to the king. And you're saying, and, and you're doing this on good grounds, <laughs> But you don't have a right to just waltz in and ask whatever you want or do whatever you want or command him to give you something. Even your <coughs> praise is a request. You're coming to the king of kings. Right? And, and this, this prayer teaches us that. Yeah. All right, question seven. And this is important, and sometimes we get it wrong. And we don't want to so focus on the prayer and its content that we forget about this because this question is vital to proper praying. Are these directions enough to enable us to pray acceptably? No. No, they are not. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Right, we need the help. We're not saying that Jesus' words are wrong or they're inadequate. We mean there's more to prayer than just what we're thinking and saying. There's another person involved. Amen. Real prayer isn't from a single person. Right. It's from a, a redeemed person aided by the person of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> so in regard to direction or external help, the word is sufficient. We don't need anything more than that. But we do need the internal help of the Holy Spirit to make the prayer acceptable 
to God. Remember where we started in Romans 8.26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. Well, he not only teaches us from Scripture what and how to pray, but by dwelling in us, he helps us and supports us in the very act of prayer. So prayer is in or by right, the Spirit through the Son to the Father. Just like creation is Trinitarian, just like salvation is Trinitarian, prayer is Trinitarian. Right? Don't get fixated on, well, it's, it's, it's all about God the Father. Well, if you didn't have God the Son interceding for you, <laughs> it wouldn't get to God the Father. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit in you helping you, it wouldn't get to Jesus to get to... So it's Trinitarian. All right, let's, um, 